You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. So what's your story? You know, the thing about human beings is we all have one. Uh, Some of our stories are amazing. Some of them are just filled with wonderful blessings that we see from God, and and, uh, we are celebrating those even now. Some of our stories are, uh, at least at this point, on the opposite side where we struggle, that there's something going on in our life. Either I caused something or something has been uh, given to me that I'm just really struggling with, and it's part of your story. Uh, Maybe yours is like Mike's, where there are times where things were good, that decade as he describes, but then also times where it gets overwhelming, and he has to step away. Maybe that's where you are, but then now is re-engaging. You know, we, have all, we all have stories like that because that's how life works, isn't it? That's how life works. There's good times, there's bad times, there's confidence, and there's chaos. And each day that passes, you and God are writing another chapter in your story, And realistically, you know, sometimes it might remind you, your story of, at least for me, it reminds me of this old typewriter here. This typewriter um, means a lot, first of all, because of the way I found it, and second of all, just because what, to me, it represents. Many of you know I do uh, long-distance bike riding during the summer, and I was out on one of my long, long rides in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota, and I turned the corner, and there were two typewriters, antiques, old. Um, the, another one I have is from 1904. This one's 1918. This is an L.C. Smith typewriter. They don't make them like this anymore. And it still works. But what's amazing about this typewriter, at least for me, is that I look at this typewriter... And I wonder, it's 101 years old. How many stories have been typed on this thing? Who wrote their story on this thing? And now with me, obviously I'm not going to write my story on it, but it represents for me the story that God is writing in my life and the story that I want to be writing as well. After the service, if you want to come up and see it and play with it. You'll have to tell the kids there's no print button. Um, but it reminds me of stories. You know, we're beginning a new series this, the, today during Lent, obviously called Stories, uh, because really, if you think about the, the church here called Lent, Lent is about your story. It's about your story as it relates to what Jesus has done for you, uh, and, and has Jesus, it leads up to Jesus Um, death and resurrection on the cross that we celebrated in a couple of weeks, and um, it's in light of what he did 2,000 years ago. And just if you're not used to what Lent is, let me just give you a little bit of a history of why we're in this season and what this is about. Um, So Lent is not in the Bible. It's not a biblical concept. God did not say, you shall celebrate Lent. Uh, That came about 200 years after Jesus died and, and rose again, went to heaven. About 200 years after that, a group of Christians started preparing themselves for Easter by fasting and praying for 40 hours before Easter. 
100 years past that, they expanded it to seven days, and, and a, couple, a couple of uh, hundred years after that, it then became 40 days of Lent. And there's all kinds of celebrations and seasons and, and things that happen during, during this. Other traditions outside of Lent um, around like Ash Wednesday, we get ashes from Pope Gregory in 1200. He decided that ashes were a great sign of humility and penance, and so that's where the ashes came from that you, that you put on your forehead or your hand during that time. Um, Shrove Tuesday, which is the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. Shrove means striving. So you think about, I'm gonna, I'm, as I prepare for the Lenten season, I'm going to strive to examine my life. Some people call it Fat Tuesday. You know why they call it Fat Tuesday? It isn't because you're eating everything that you're not going to eat during Lent and get fat. Um, it's basically from an, uh, an old tradition where during Lent you're not supposed to eat fat. So they would empty out their cabinets, their cupboards, their, their, their cold storage place, and they would eat all the fat in the house the Tuesday before Lent started. Um, in England, one of the traditions was that people of the parish, people of the church, would spend this time top to bottom scrubbing the church in preparation for Easter. So as you leave, there's a mop and a uh, rag. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Lent is a very holy time, I feel. It's a time, like I said, where we look in the mirror, we examine our life, and it's very private. It's a very private time of reflection with you and God. Taking an account of your life, especially when it comes to sin and the parts of your life when you are tempted to sin. And all of us are tempted, aren't we, to sin. And the problem with the temptation to sin, especially uh, for us, and especially if the temptation is strong enough, is that our evil brains can figure out how to rationalize the sin that we step into. I shared this at the Ash Wednesday service, the story of a um, a man who was very overweight, and he decided that it was time to shed a few pounds. So he went on this new diet, and he took it very, very seriously. He even changed his usual driving route to the office in order to avoid his favorite bakery. Well, one morning, however, he arrived at the office carrying a large sugar-coated coffee cake, and his office mates were like, I th- well, we thought you were serious, and they gave him a good chiding for it, but he only smiled And he just shrugged his shoulders and said, what could I do? This is a very special cake. This morning, one of my forced, or out of a forced habit, I accidentally drove by my favorite bakery. There in the window were trays of the most delicious goodies. I felt that that it was no accident that I happened to pass by. So I prayed, Lord, if you really want me to have one of these delicious coffee cakes, Let me find a parking spot right in front of the bakery. Sure enough, the man says, on the ninth time around the block, there it was. (laughs) We rationalize temptation and sin, don't we? It's not a day goes by that we're not tempted by something. Maybe for you it isn't coffee cakes. Maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe it is some sort of addiction to alcohol, to drugs. Maybe the temptation for you is exploring things on the internet that you just know are not godly and you shouldn't be there. Maybe for you, it's a temptation to lose your temper and it's becoming out of control. And the reason you know it's out of control because both your kids and your spouse 
They're afraid of you. It's temptation. And here's the thing about temptation that you and I encounter. Um, temptation is basically comes at the intersection of opportunity and desire. When both opportunity and desire are there, temptation is there and more likely for you to step into sin. If you have the desire to gossip about someone, you look for the opportunity to talk to another person. The desire plus that other person creates the opportunity to gossip. If you have a desire to steal something and nobody's around, and in fact, when you see the video cameras of people stealing, they see something that they're going to steal, and they kind of look around, and they create an opportunity. They're waiting for the opportunity, the desire, the opportunity to steal. That's where we fall into sin. And so how do we get out of, or how do we ask God to help remove this temptation? Well, there's um, a guy named Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament uh, in the Bible and um, wrote several letters to different churches and groups of people that were gathering. One of these letters is 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians because there was a 2 Corinthians, potentially a 3 Corinthians, but we don't have that. Um, but 2 Corinthians, uh, or uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So hear this, when you're being tempted, it's not anything new. There's other people that have been tempted by the exact same thing. Situation might be a little bit different, but the core of what the temptation to sin is, is common to people. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure that. And do you know how he provides that way out? Many different times, but getting back to um, our idea, simply this. He will show you how to remove either the desire or the opportunity. He will simply show you how to remove either desire or opportunity. Because if you have the desire to gossip about somebody and there's nobody else in the room, you can't gossip. The opportunity is gone. If going back to the stealing example, you, you, have the, the op, you have the desire there, but there's a person standing right next to you, the opportunity's gone, and you won't steal. Or the opposite is if you see the bracelet and the opportunity is there, but you realize that God says stealing is a sin, that desire is removed because you want to be following Jesus. Does that all make sense? Removing one of those two will help break the power of temptation. And what's amazing is this actually played out in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus was, was tempted all the time. Um, he was tempted to gain power. He was tempted by prostitutes. There were, there were prostitutes within his gathering at some point, at, at points. Um, money, he was, he, you know, he was God. He could snuff out people in a heartbeat, but he didn't. But specifically today, we're going to look at a, a situation in Luke 4 where Jesus was taken up uh, out into the wilderness by the devil and was tempted. And so Luke 4, starting at, at verse 1 to 13, um, if you have the Bible app, you can look that up and follow along, uh, or if you have your Bible as well. So, um, but this is how the story goes. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. So he was just baptized, did a little bit of teaching, and then he comes out of the, the Jordan, and he was uh, returned to the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilder, into the wilderness 
where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing, at, nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. I would too. I struggled 40 minutes without being hungry. So Jesus was very hungry. The devil picks up on that Jesus was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become a loaf of bread. Tell the stones to become a loaf of bread. Human desire, that's first part of the temptation, plus the opportunity the devil was providing. Tell the stones to become a loaf of bread. And you know how Jesus responds. He responds with Scripture. Jesus says, no, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Second one is this, second temptation that he, that he uh, is experiencing. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, we don't know how all that happened. Uh, we just take it for, for what is said. Um, revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Uh, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give them to you if you will worship me. So the human desire at this point is, Jesus, is uh, the, for power and control, and Satan is providing for Jesus the opportunity to rule all the kingdoms with the caveat of worshiping the devil. Well, that ain't going to fly. Jesus says this in verse 8. Jesus replied, and again, uses scripture. The scripture says, um, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil's like, well, that's two down. Okay, one more time, and then I hope I don't strike out. So the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. And the devil kind of picks up on Jesus' last response and kind of heads him off. And he says, For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. So the human desire for pride now comes into play. Satan or the devil is providing the opportunity to test God and, and to say, I am I know God will, will spare me because of who I am and, and the whole pride thing that comes around uh, or comes with that human desire. But Jesus, once again, third time, uses Scripture. Scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came, which were many. I mean, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the devil's sworn enemy, if you will. And so you can imagine the kind of temptational pressure that Jesus had in his ministry. So let me ask you this today. What's tempting you? What in your story in the past has tempted you? And maybe it's a temptation that nobody knows. Like seriously, nobody knows. Like just you and the desire and the opportunity come together and you fall into temptation. What's temp what tempts you? And maybe in the past you've had victories and you've, you've trusted in God and you've seen and, and taken the hard way of, of not falling into sin by removing the opportunity or removing the desire. But maybe 
and maybe it's today, you're stepping into sin and you know it's not right. Lent is a time of taking seriously your story and what God has done in your story in the past. Are you going to allow him to show you that way out? Part of that is just confession, like we do in church, but boy, confession to a pastor or even to, you know, a trusted friend, it's huge. Maybe that's the activity for this week for some of us, is to ask for forgiveness and hear the beautiful words that God loves you. Yeah, he doesn't want you to be dumb and sin. But even if you do, he loves you and wants to restore you back. And just like Mike saying in his testimony, seeing the one set of footprints on the sand, the one thing you need to know is that even when it is just one footprint, God is carrying you. And he will carry you until he brings you home to him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. Father, thank you for uh, our stories. Some of our stories are um, like this old typewriter, beat up and used and worn. Um, and uh, we, we just we look back and, and want to close out that chapter uh, of our life. Father, help us to write new stories, just starting today, stories of love, of joy, of faithfulness, of hope, of peace. God, that's only possible by, possible by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we trust in your Spirit to guide us and lead us. Help this, the typewriter image, help uh, Mike's testimony come to us over the next couple of days as we step into uh, our, our lives and um, our fighting temptations and fighting the desire to sin. We know that you love us, God, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we're covered by the grace of your Son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, and all of us said together, Amen. Now let's receive the blessing from our Lord and have two hands out like this to receive that blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor. May he grant you his peace now and forever. Amen.